Hello, Castec community. My name is Chris C. I'm the founding director of the Castec project, coming to you from the land of the Web3. Today, I'm so delighted to be joined by Unlock CEO Julian Jedistu, who's going to talk to us about the amazing ability to use NFT to unlock the potential of not only Web3, but experiences and relationships. So Unlock Protocol, super excited to have you to be, to be here. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm really excited and delighted to be uh, to be telling you the story about Unlock, and then hopefully uh, people find this interesting. Absolutely. And I think what's really interesting about Web3 is that we call it different things, crypto, Ethereum, and, and blockchain, whatever it might be. But the idea of the day is about adding a dimension uh, of ownership and composability. And that's the thing that I think that is more meaningful to me. Uh, and, and, and making that the new substrate of the web. We, this is Web3 is not a different web. It's just the web with an additional component. And one of the additional component is this idea that these tokens, these abstract 0x addresses sometime, uh, uh, somehow represent something real, that real uh, access pass, that real permission and, and belonging, and maybe not entitlement, but certainly a sense of uh, 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 that, that you, you belong somewhere. So tell me a little bit about kind of like how how you came into this world we call Web3 and what made you push this envelope on, on, you know, unlock and this potential of building this kind of relationship between people and actuating it? Absolutely. So first of all, I'm a software engineer. I'm a hacker uh, and I've been building stuff in the open web for the last almost 20 years at this point. Uh, my previous company was doing RSS feed APIs and I hope people who mm. are technical know RSS feeds, but this is basically in my mind a tool for you know Web3 in some way. It's kind of a way to syndicate mm -hmm. content from many different places of the web into a single place or the other round. Uh, you know, have the same content go in many, many places uh, through syndication. I do believe that the web was built, you know, with a lot of very good intention in terms of openness and decentralization. But for one reason that uh, maybe we'll come to it, uh, it has become more and more centralized. Uh, mm -hmm. We've given more and more of the power of decentralization to a small number of entities you know, Google, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, like these names probably ring a bell for everyone. Um, and I think this all, you know, comes down from a single event from what I call the original scene. Uh, mm. And it's uh, it's actually an HTTP status. So people probably know in your community what HTTP statuses are, but like the most famous that everybody knows of is 404 not found. And yes. believe it or not, there is uh, a 402 status called payment required. And if you look ah. at the uh, HTTP specification from 93, I think, uh, there is still this status 402 payment required. And the specification says only three things reserved for later use. And right. that was never implemented. And I think that's the original sin. That That is what actually made the web more and more centralized. Because at some point, these you know fun little websites that we built in the 90s and more people built in the 90s and further needed to monetize. And when they needed mm -hmm. to monetize, well, they couldn't do that at the protocol layer. They couldn't do that at the lowest level because there is no payment mechanism on the web. And we'll come back to this. So yep. they invented uh, you know, the banner ad, for example. They invented mechanism at a higher level to say, okay, if we can't actually monetize in the low level, we'll have to sell our users' attention. Um, and from there stems a lot of the things that are not great about the web today, like these you know, constant uh, attention-grabbing techniques that you'll find on all the social networks. I don't want to go into like, how YouTube and TikTok sure. do that, but it's kind of a pain. The erod erosion of privacy. like The fact is ads do convert better when they know more about you, uh, or arguably they convert better when they know more about you, which means that now... Tons of people are incentivized to get everything they can from you, like what's the age of your children, mm -hmm. where you live, uh, how what degree you can have, what website you browse at night, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so that thing that stems from that idea as well. And in practice, the fact that it was actually so hard to be paid for um, most creators on the web, 
meant that a fewer, I mean, a smaller and smaller number of platforms who were able to actually build efficient monetization schemes were able to capture all of the content, all of the traffic, and all of the attention from everyone. And so I think uh, what brought me to Web3 is really the idea that, hey, we can do better. We should do better. Uh, we've had Web1, we've had Web2 with you know the social web. Let's actually now go back to the roots and try to, to see how we can leverage this emerging technology, which is blockchain, that actually brings payments uh, as, a, as a primitive to the web and see how it can help us reinvent the whole stack altogether. Yeah, it's really interesting to see that that's the missing piece of the web was the payment piece because, you know, a lot of things got right, but there's this one missing thing. And and the it's really hard to do payment processing, right? There's a lot of success story of doing payment processing, where that's Square, Stripe, or the original PayPal. Like, you know, these are pretty, pretty important patchwork that we built on top of the really you know, antiquated financial systems. Yes. Uh, and, and then it's like, so, so right now in, in the, with the technology that we have, and I think most of the people who listen to the podcast generally knows, uh, you know, like things like MetaMask or the ability thing. I, I actually think this idea of MetaMask is pretty interesting, right? It's like this injection of the missing piece of the yes. payment required into the context of the web without introducing a centralization. So yes, they use an inferior server, but it could be, arguably any other server that you're going to use as a Yeah, node, you can right? use any RPC provider. I actually use a local RPC provider in my MetaMask. Smart, to, to right. Example. I mean, I don't know if it's smart. I, 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 <laughs> one of the things that I believe a lot is the idea of dog fooding. It's like, I can preach for something. Uh, if I don't right. do the thing that I'm preaching for, then I'm not yeah. credible. And so as I'm in the Web3 space, I'm trying to use as much as possible a, a lot of Web3 tools. But anyway, yeah, the fact yeah, is I, possible, oh. yeah, yeah. No, exactly. I think you're, you're right. Like the, the MetaMask approach, I actually never thought of it this, like this, but like injecting itself at the core of the HTTP layer, which is in the web browser, uh, yeah. almost in between, you know, the, mm -hmm. the rendering of the page and the network is actually a very relevant, uh, a very relevant point here. I, I do think that what's interesting about that is like, if you think about Chrome, forget about MetaMask, right? Um, mm -hmm. Safari, and even I think Mo Mozilla had a project called Persona at some point. They, yes. All of these vendors try to, at some point, build an identity layer inside of the web browser. But they did this in a very centralizing way. Obviously, this was an Apple ID account. And so it's with Apple. It's not something that is self-sovereign. It was a Chrome, a, a Google account actually inside of Chrome. It was not something that is self-sovereign. So what MetaMask does is just saying, hey, you know what? No, your identity is your private key. Yes. We can, you, it should be that. And so we're basically injecting ourselves into your browser as a way to say, hey, if you are this person, you can prove that you are this person to a website and use that as a mechanism to make payments for sure, but also log in. And that's the whole signing with Ethereum uh, pattern that we're seeing more and more of. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think, you know, the, you know, when you look at the cryptography as a field, uh, there's many attempts to bring cryptography to the masses, like PGP was one of the first yes. way to, hey, encrypt your email. And there was other things where it's a little more centralized. Uh, the SSL thing took a long time, a long, a lot of time. There was a provider was like, check your like state registration certificate to give you a $5,000 certificate. And then it's like, you know, we just want encryption. And I think we got better. But the, the point is, it's actually really amazing. If you look at uh, uh, Ethereum and then other ecosystems that also use public, it's actually the first majorly usable cryptography system that is in the masses-ish. Yep. Yeah, when I started playing with uh, with Ethereum uh, almost, I was this, like almost six years ago now, five and a half years ago, a good friend of mine uh, who I was uh, on the journey with told me something like, even if this whole thing fails and collapses and disappears, at least we'd have made private keys popular. <laughs> yes. uh, and, and I think that's actually one of the big things. I don't think this is going to collapse in any way. But yes, we have finally moved away from this idea that your identity needs to be managed by some third party, some government, some 
large website to a world in which, nope, you can have your own identity and prove to everybody else that you are wherever you claim to be without having to rely on somebody else giving you that permission. And to me, that's kind of already progress in that way. Yeah. So, you know, I want to jump kind of straight to uh, what this unlocks, uh, no yes. pun intended, which is like if people ha can prove the identity and sign it with the Ethereum and say, this is my key and this is who I am. The next thing I ask is, and especially new users who are curious about Web3, more so in, in a time where things are throffy, but, you know, even so today, people are asking those questions. What can I do with this? Right? Yes. So <laughs> once I can prove to you who I am, I can prove to you what credentials I have, what I should mm. be able to access, uh, what kind of content I should be able to see. And going back to the thing about the attention economy, I think the web is also moving away from that attention economy to what I call the membership economy. You know, right. we're all familiar with Substack. So, I mean, I, I sold Superfeeder to Medium, the publishing platform, and at Medium, we, we said, okay, we'll democratize publishing, we'll make it easy for people to publish. But one thing that we missed, and I think Medium is now going there, is like, okay, the next step is like for all of these creators to monetize their content, just not distributed, but being able to say, I'm going to make money from this. And so we needed a mechanism to allow, to identify whether a user was paying or not for mm -hmm. the content to show them the content. And that's what Subtack does at its core. New York Times, we're both in New York, uh, moved yes. away from an ad-only uh, business model, which was kind of late, I mean, early 2010s, mm -hmm. to something that is subscribers only. I know there's a ton of criticism about this, but they're getting to 10 million subscribers and making it a very large tech company in practice. Yeah, with a lot I, of I feel like they have changed. I think they've actually crossed the inflection point oh, uh, of have, ratio. Yes. Oh, yeah. absolutely. No, no, they're, I think they're now at 65 or 70% of the revenue coming from subscribers. Mm -hmm. yeah. But it could be younger this right like you can think of netflix uh spotify uh they're all i mean we're pretty the same age or roughly we mm -hmm. downloaded all of the music in the world and all of the movies we're not paying for anything <laughs> yes now i just pay for netflix i just pay for a bunch of other streaming services i pay for music it's the convenience it's practical and now these services have an easy way to identify whether i'm a paying member or not yes. they have a database my hunch is like the web is doing this migration and we'll have more and more you know members only interfaces that doesn't mean you're gonna to have to pay for everything but you need to be able to prove that you should be able to access some things mm -hmm. and that and twitter blue with uh with the new subscription based thing that's kind of like one step that's to that exactly direction like that. yeah i yeah. mean it's a step in the direction if you want to go even further um instagram has this uh you know uh uh, super follows, I think it's called. Uh, mm -hmm. So you're oh, close friends uh, where you can publish, you know, on your Instagram feed for the people that follow you. But then there is this section called close friends. And I think it's limited to 150 people uh, and you can send them messages. And I know there's some Instagram, you know, uh, influencer that are actually selling access to that. Mm -hmm. So that's the same pattern. It's like, okay, yes. I'm a famous person. My biggest fans, they're going to pay to access this content uh, that I'm going to publish to them. So we the, the web is moving to that direction. But right now it's doing this in a very disorganized way with, you know, every website uses a different authentication mechanism. I have to mm -hmm. email account, I mean, email password everywhere, different payment platform everywhere. What if, and that's the Web3 answer, what if my wallet was my identity? I can log in with my wallet and prove that I'm wherever I am. And then my access keys, my membership cards are actually NFTs. They're non-fungible token that I can acquire or can earn by doing certain things to access, you know, a website, uh, access an online community, maybe get some discounts or benefits on some e-commerce site, et cetera, et cetera. And what's really interesting about using NFTs here or using a blockchain, as a matter of fact, yeah. is like it's a different dimension from the web. It's not stuck in a specific database. I don't know if people are going to see the video here, but at the bottom of my uh, webcam here, I use a virtual webcam. I've got mm -hmm. a bunch of little icons. These yeah. are my fans. I mean, maybe fans is a big word, but they're my members. I've got a membership on my own blog. Uh, yeah. It's using Unlock, obviously. People, all of these people have an NFT membership that allows right. them to access some of the content. And then since it exists actually inside of a database, uh, not inside, uh, instead of a blockchain, instead of a database, I can leverage that information wherever I go online. And so I mm -hmm. use this virtual webcam to extract the list and just overlay a few of them uh, on my calls.
Yeah, it's really interesting about data portability, right? Because even yes. in the Web3 sense, uh, there's two ways to do data portability. One is like, hey, it's an API access to a partner. As long as it benefits them, and the moment it doesn't, I'm going to shut down the API. It's yep. gone, right? So that's yep. the platform risk that we always warn first-time founders on that. But there's an API. It's like only when you're not successful and you help them a little bit. But if you start yeah. overtaking them, it, it is like you call it, it back, poop. Like, and the second thing is like the type of patronizing download your data thing, right? Yes. Like, which is like, what am I going to do with the zip file of HTML files on my I, computer? I, I think we've, we've done the same thing with the Facebook export. Yeah, when Facebook came up with the export, it was actually in 2013. And they're like, oh, you can download an HTML file. of you think like, what kind of joke is this? Like, nobody can do anything with that. It's For me, that's actually a, a, almost kind of a misconception around data portability. Yes, it's it's like no data should be portable. It should be accessible. Yes, <laughs> and, and, yes. And portability doesn't actually mean anything because it's not easily syncable and it's not easily programmable. If I download an HTML file, I cannot do anything with it. And the point Absolutely. of Facebook is not to be just a, a dead thing. It's a, something that should be static and programmable. And so yes, for me, the right way of thinking about this is like instead of saying oh you can download the data, it's like no, the data is available on a shared public space where yeah. I cannot cut you access from, where you can yes. access to it. There are maybe rules in terms of like how you can access and maybe there's encryption and things like this to make it secure, but it shouldn't be, you know, behind a server that can, or terms of service uh, that can evolve and maybe shut you down. And we've seen Twitter, we talked about Twitter, do that, you know, seven times over the last, uh, <laughs> over the last 10 Many, years. many times. They, they yes. would have a, a mea culpa and then do it again. <laughs> yes. And, and then, but it's not just them, right? Like Google shuts down APIs left and right yeah, every yeah, year yeah. and all of the small businesses that are built on this. Apple just shut down Dark Sky, which was one of the most amazing weather oh APIs in the world. God. And How so sad. all of these things, yeah, sad. But at the same time, you know, it's like, who could have known? Well, us, we yeah. should have known. And, and there's people that actually have, you know, uh, warned us over and over. And they keep warning us. And, you know, every week I see, oh, I'm going to build this on that API. It's like, yeah, yeah, I mean, good for you, but... That's not a sustainable business. Yeah, it's it's paras uh, parasitical in the way that you have to think, right? You have to help your host but not kill it and not threaten it. That symbiotic thing is hard to do. Like, for example, I think the, the company would have the most access key to all the services is Zapier. Uh, yep. Like Zapier or these kind of things because they are just useful enough to like kind of let off such steam and say, hey, you're trapping my data, but you can use Zapier. So that nobody ever shuts down Zapier, right? Because that's nice. But Zapier can't build an alternate UI to unify all the application they have keys to. They would get shut down immediately, even immediately. though I'm sure they've thought about it, right? You know, why do you have to go and use all these different oh. UI to connect them? But they can't. I, I don't know that for a fact, but I'm pretty sure that there is some services that have asked Zapier to remove some of the receipts so that they wouldn't sync yeah. the data. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure there's like people that have built sync your data between Twitter and Facebook, like in either Twitter or Facebook. Yeah. I say, nope, Zapier, you either remove these receipts and you do only the thing that we approved you for. Yeah. Or you don't actually have yeah. anything. Be, yeah. Stay within the line of what's acceptable yeah, exactly. in the service. And and where where whereas I think there's a lot more opportunity uh, in, in a more open world uh, to push. You know, I, I have a def, I, I I record a video called why you why use Web three tools and 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 it and it came down to two words and it has to be both simultaneously true. It has to be ownable and composable. Ownable yes. is just it's yours and nobody can take it from you, but. If it's just ownable, but I can't use it to do something else, then that's do not use it. Yes. Or if it's composable, let's say I can connect the API, but I don't own it, that also doesn't work, right? So you have to have both of them simultaneously to be true. And that's really, at the end of the day, to me, what Web3 is really all about. I think that's a very good, uh, I think that's a very good definition. One thing that I would uh, put a little asterisk on, like owning for me is different from what we 
tend to think about ownership. Like it's mm. more about control than it is about, you know, what does it mean to own a file? Like I, you know, it's, mm. it's, it's, there's no, you know, there's no deed for the file or any of that. I see. Um, yep. I, and so for me, it's more like, okay, what can I do with it? And that goes back to the programmability aspect that you just mentioned is, uh, so it's not like owning in the sense like, okay, I have a title that shows that I own right, it. Right. It's like more, yes. I, I'm in control of this. And there's stuff that is not ownable, but it's kind of collectively owned or co- collectively governed. And for me, protocols are exactly that. Like protocol, nobody owns HTTP, right? But That's there's true. a group of people that actually are collectively controlling or governing how it works. It's at the body of PC, uh, and mm-hmm. that's kind of a fairly, I don't want to say opaque because they try to make it open, but it's still fairly opaque in how that works. Like most websites mm-hmm. don't actually have any representation there. I do think that crypto brings us another opportunity here as well, which is the way to kind of collectively co-own these public goods, these open protocols that we all rely on. Like, okay, WebRTC, which is this video live streaming thing. I mean, video streaming uh, core yeah. protocol could be collectively governed by all of its application and users. And I don't know if this is what Riverside, the podcasting software that we use here, uses. Mm-hmm. But if it does, then they should have a say at the table of governance, along with Chrome, along with you know yes. Firefox, along with Apple, to say, yep, we want WebRTC to do X, Y, Z, or we don't want this to, to, to be possible in that world. So Absolutely. I do think that crypto, yes, ownership. But it's kind of ownership in the in the governance world uh, more than ownership in like the oh I can sell you know uh, yes something yeah I, I think this whole idea of property ownership in the abstract intellectual right stuff is kind of in a little bit of a bastardization or overextension yes. of a certain concept but you yes know, yeah but like owning something is really about not only being able to do what you need to do but also caring for it right yes, if you exactly. own something you're gonna you know take care of it and i think that collective caretaking is something that it's hard to explain yes and I, i'm not sure this is if you're a native english speaker but for me one of the one of the thing when i say you own something one thing that i hear is like yes that means that it's yours but also that means that it's it's on you, right? It's 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 your mm-hmm. problem in some way. When you yeah. say, oh, you mm-hmm. own this, it's like, okay, yeah. that's that's your problem. And I think mm-hmm. that's actually a very good analogy. It's not just about, you know, uh, uh, rights. It's also about uh, responsibilities in some way. And so Absolutely. when you own the web, okay, yes. you have rights over how it can work, but you also have responsibilities for how it can work and how it should work. Yeah, and that is, that is very different than this whole f- uh, recent financialization of, like, for example, music rights. Oh, I own the music rights to the Bowie catalog or something like that. That's a very different type of ownership. Yes. But I can imagine the managers and the stuff, it's different. But once it becomes super financialized, we actually are losing that kind of symbiosis yes. between rights and responsibility. It becomes only speculative. It becomes only like, okay, I'm going to increase the value of it and then try to mm-hmm. sell it to somebody else. And I think in many ways that reduces the value of the thing altogether. It makes yeah. it more of a speculative object more than it yeah. is something that is collectively useful and in, 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 in shared. Yeah. Spinning on that concept of ownership, obviously you mentioned NFT being this kind of a gate, uh, this, 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 this thing that you can hold on to and give you the kind of membership it'll belong. Uh, there's a lot of NFT kind of that are owned, right? They are yep. traded. Uh, there's a, that the people, uh, uh, temporary own something, flip it, and then they have some rights while they own it. They don't have it. Uh, what's your sense about like people understanding NFT? When you say to people NFT, I'm sure people think about like, um, a picture board apes or something, yes. a picture of JPEG or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, you're, you're saying something slightly more subtle. Can you give me like yeah. your understanding of people's current perception of NFT and what do you mean by NFT being this kind of a, a yeah. necessary ingredient? So I think for me, first of all, it's even I have trouble defining what an NFT is because I think in practice, an NFT is an abstract concept. It's more like, what is a website? Well, mm-hmm. a website is a website. It's like, Something that has a domain name, maybe there's something there I can go to. It might be an e-commerce site, it might be a you know a newspaper site. I think NFTs are kind of the same. It's more of a 
I mean, there's NFTs that are going to be collectible NFTs, the one that you mentioned, but there's yeah. already NFTs that are representing, you know, domain names. A domain name is a non-fungible token. Mm-hmm. It's not, it doesn't have a monkey picture. The visual aspect actually is not that interesting. Uh, right. It might not be forever. Uh, you know, we tend to think of like, oh, an NFT is forever. Like, not really. It's just, a, you know, it's a recording a database in practice and the database actually happens to be on-chain, but it's mm-hmm. just a, it's just a, a representation of an object. And so that, in that way, it is very abstract. So, Ways of thinking about NFTs, I think, is is more. I mean, I think of them as. I mean, the way I try to explain people is like by giving them example and say, okay, this is an NFT. Domain name ENS, that's an NFT. Mm-hmm. Uh, a liquidity position on Uniswap is an NFT, which is like, True. what is this? And it's like, yeah. yeah, it's it's basically an indication of what kind of money you've put in the system at what price, and it's kind yes. of very specific uh, to that uh, to that use case. And again, nothing to do with collectibles. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, game items are NFT, so they might not be art stuff, but like, you know, your sword in a game is an NFT. A mm-hmm. diploma is an NFT. Your driver license could be, should be an NFT. It's something that you earn, right. that you own, that you can show people like, hey, look, I have my driver license. I have a diploma from, you mentioned Columbia. It's mm-hmm. an, it should be an NFT. Obviously, in that scenario, it's not transferable. It's not Bottable. I hope people don't buy their driver license. Otherwise, mm-hmm. we're in trouble on the roads. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's also kinds of examples of NFTs. It's possible not tradable. So I, I know some watch yes. companies are like working on like the digital warranty card that's NFT. But you know, owning the NFT doesn't mean you own the watch. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. So it might not be transferable. I actually think right. it, it in in most NFTs will not be transferable. I actually think also most NFTs will not have. Uh, a financial value like again mm-hmm. my driver license will never have a financial value but think of a barcode right something that's on a on an object the barcode that identifies the object it might not have a financial value and yet it's a non-fungible token in the sense that it represents that unique book or that unique object that's on your table mm-hmm. uh, it's a way to kind of do traceability because it was made in that country and then travel through this supply right. chain to this point it doesn't have a financial value so really for me an nft is like a website or you know a domain name maybe some like an email address it's kind of a a core object of how we build stuff in this giant network that is the internet uh and it can be used for very very different purposes we've obviously seen, seen the collectible aspect and the monkey pictures and some of that but yes. i don't think we were nearly you know uh we've nearly explored the the realm of possibilities of what they can bring and how they're actually going to be used down the line yeah. So, you know, what's really interesting about NFT, my own personal uh, history at NFT is that I, uh, I have the privilege to work with uh, Kevin McCoy, who's an inventor of NFT. If you go to Wikipedia, look at his name. I was his uh, co-founder and CTO when we were trying to commercialize this idea of monograph. Uh, as a Bitcoin base, you know, this yep. predated Ethereum. So I had very early experience in the digital art space making kind of payment system. And we end up using Stripe for the trading interface because that's all you had at the time. Yes. Um, and, and then Stripe at the time had uh, pay with Bitcoin. So it was kind of like halfway of uh, OpenSea. Uh, but it was really early, and, and a lot of the people that work with me at Cossack right now was part of that project. So we we, we had this kind of collectible digital art, like pre- precious objects, kind of like cultural mm-hmm. uh, thing. And to see, like you know, you know, you know, more like personal profile pic becoming the thing is is helpful, but it's also 
very limiting. So uh, I, I kind of want to switch the focus a little bit about your conception NFT, especially related to membership NFT. Yes. Uh, so you talk about this idea that's not collectible, is more functional, and is not necessarily permanent, could be temporal, like you're members yeah. for a period of time. Tell yes. me how that works and how uh, people can acquire it. Is it something related to uh, something that they, they already have, like a board A, or is it something that's independent of other NFT and other ecosystems? Yeah, so basically the way we implemented it, and we're going to get technical, is like by creating contracts uh, that are implementing the ERC-721 specification, so the base, mm -hmm. the most frequent uh, NFT specification. And yeah. what we've done is we've added a little difference to these NFTs. Generally, an NFT, if you think about a board ape, it's really three things, right? It's an ID, one, two, three, four, five, six, usually sequential. Right. And if you've got board ape five, it's different from board ape seven. Mm -hmm. An owner, uh, it's usually the address of the wallet that actually owns it at any given, at any given point. And then a pointer to some metadata. Uh, and so for a board ape, it's a pointer to the picture. Uh, it's a description of some of the, uh, you know, characteristics of that, uh, of that specific ape. What we've right. added is a fourth field, which is a timestamp. And we mm -hmm. said, you know what? That timestamp is the expiration. It's the time at which the NFT shouldn't be considered valid anymore. And so it's been mm -hmm. timestamp like you have, you know, everywhere in, in, in computer science and say, okay, at, what, by adding this, we enable the NFTs to become a lot more things. So first of all, that means that I can acquire one, which is buy it from the contract. It gets minted. And then an expiration date is set, which means that at some point, if it has some benefits attached to this, once we pass the expiration date, well, these benefits are not usable anymore. Mm -hmm. It also brings the ability to bring what we call recurring revenue. It's the idea like, okay, if I want to keep having it, well, I can just pay to extend that expiration date by you know a week, a month, a year, uh, every week, every month, every year. And so that creates this whole thing that we're very familiar with, which is basically you know recurring revenue. So the, mm -hmm. my membership to Netflix uh, right now is something that every month uh, my card is charged and I my, it's extended. And it's not an NFT, but it's a database in... It's a table and it's a row in the in the in the Netflix database right. that says Julian has uh, an NFT. Oh, sorry, uh, an access to Netflix that is going to expire on uh, you know June twentieth, uh, and it's going to get extended by another month or etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So really, that's right. the thing we've added. That also meant that all of a sudden you could apply NFT concept to a lot of things. So you mentioned the diplomas. Diplomas are usually forever, but there's definitely a lot of, you know, uh, industries in which you would want to have certification be renewed. Oh, every absolutely. Month year. Yeah. And so it's kind of a diploma, but like every year you can keep it up to date or prove that you've taken the lessons or the classes to stay, you know, on par with the, with the, with the, with the art. And mm -hmm. so that's one thing that you can do. Uh, obviously, another thing that I think is, is really interesting is membership to clubs. Uh, you know, uh, you might be a member of a soccer club and you play with friends, uh, you could have a little card, paper card to show people like, hey, look, this is me. Great. Uh, not very practical. And if you want to have an online space as well, it's really hard to actually show this card. So if you move to the NFT world, you say, okay, these NFTs you pay and now you're a member of the soccer club for like a month right. for a year. Uh, and then that allows you to kind of access the venue to play soccer and maybe access some online uh, places where you can share with your soccer friends about, you know, the latest games and things like this. Yeah. Uh, where really this is interesting to me is, again, this decoupling of the membership object, the NFT, from any specific application. Because let's take the soccer example. Now I can show up at, you know, some uh, sports uh, store uh, where they'll have gear and say, hey, you are a member of this soccer club? We have, we have discount for these people. And it's done in a way that doesn't require them to know of my card, my paper card. I can just show them the NFT. They know Their system knows that there's a deal with people from that uh, special soccer club. And then I get a discount on jerseys or on, bo mm -hmm. on balls that I might want to buy here. Yeah, Makes sense. So, yeah. The the use case is like the, the the consequences. Like if you have this, you know, what is the thing? 
it, that that unlocks. Like so, so you know, looking at your website, which is by the way fantastic, it's so clear about the use cases it can be in language that people understand. I know you're very technical and you're able to explain. And we just had a fairly technical discussion about how it's done. Uh, but you know, the use case of membership is so vivid and, and things like that. Uh, but it's interesting to say, like you know, let's say I have a members to a airline, uh, 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 like a award tier, like some yes. platinum tier. Uh, I know intuitively it means a couple of things. If I walk into the lounge in an airport, I should be able to get in. So that's a real world consequence. Yes. If I go online, I should be able to book something that maybe other people can book or get a price that other people can get. So it's like online off-chain consequences. But I can also imagine that I can do something online, like mint something or yes. transact in a certain way, or, or maybe I have the right to to swap my points with people that other people don't have the tier doesn't get that. So like can explain to me like the real life on chain off chain consequences. Uh, do you have a preference for all? Do you expect unlock protocol to support all of them? You know, what, what, do, what, what, so, what do you see? Yeah, the, we do support that? all of them. And I want to mention like the example that you described, people say, why do you use, why do you need blockchain for this? In practice, you don't like what you described actually exists. Like, okay, I have a, I'm a member of air France. I have the thing I can show up at the, at the lounge and I get access. I can show up, you know, I can just get discount on the website. It's quite nice. <laughs> uh, but, or, you know, different airlines. But what's interesting here is like, right now, it's really actually very hard for uh, Air France to actually build a system where mm. everywhere they have interactions with the customer, the customer is able to connect to a database that has this registration. It's right. actually really hard for them to build these things and it's even harder for them to actually build with partners. You know, they have a partnership with Hertz or with Avis, the, the car rental right. company. Well, right now they have to actually interface the two uh, in information systems around, okay, when somebody shows up, you can verify that the code is right. And most of the time it probably doesn't work. They just, you know, you mm -hmm. show a piece of paper that's okay, I'll trust you. I guess it's the only way I can do that. But if it's actually in crypto, they don't need to build interoperable, uh, you know, um, uh, information systems. They can actually create these partnerships because I can prove to them and they can verify on chain that yes, my NFT is a valid one from Air France that is from their contract and can, 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 can show them. So really yeah. the blockchain here provides like the internet a way, like a way for everyone to actually access the content and, and interact and play with this. Where I think this goes further and which is kind of interesting to me is the idea that maybe at some point, Somebody who is not affiliated with Air France, you know, another business, say a restaurant in, in, in New York City, yep. you know, will give discounts to all the people that are from Air France. They don't have to right. actually have to have a call uh, with Air France. They can say, you know, we know their contract. We can just verify the contract. And yes. that's a way to do marketing. That's a way for us to attract a special kind of people to our business because we know the characteristic of these people and we'll give them discounts on that. For yeah. me, that's also something that is really interesting. And that's what uh, Patrick on our team calls the multiplayer membership. It mm -hmm. really gives you that, okay... My membership exists, and then if I'm willing to show it to people, anyone in the world can actually change their behavior based on this. One of the people that people know in the U.S. is AAA, the uh, you know the uh, automotive uh, club, yes. I guess. Yes. Uh, I'm not a member, but I know that there's a bunch of you know uh, motels all around the U.S. that will get you a discount or free coffee for lunch or something. Like this. Right. If you show them special the rate, AAA, yeah, special yeah. rates. If you have the AAA, yeah. they don't actually have a formal relationship with AAA. They don't need to, right? They just say, hey, "Show me your AAA card. I can verify that it's a real one." Right. Then I'll give you a discount. And that's a way for them to attract business uh, from, from customers that are, uh, you know, more likely to adhere to their, you know, the values and the culture of the yeah. business.
It's amazing how much that is a type of targeting, right? So yes. if you think about AAA members who are on the road, they likely have an RV, uh, right? Like yeah. that's why you would have AAA, right? Like you know, it's kind of the correlation there. Like in cities, people don't know what it is. Uh, they have to find a way to. I think in New York City, uh, the the AAA value is that we have our own DMV in our own office that's more efficient than the one over there, and that's their kind of city-based value. But in general, it's like oh, you're in the middle of Montana, and they will get you, right? Yes, exactly. They'll help you. And then if you go to the local uh, motel, the local restaurant, you'll get a discount because you're yeah, a AAA member. Exactly. Really, that's that's the power of these memberships once they become multi multiplayer in that way. Absolutely. And and then it's so interesting about this whole competitive coupon thing. Like I want to yes. target my competitor customers. Uh, can imagine like an upstart airline uh, in France targeting Air France Platinum members. Say, hey, yep. our business cost is cash fare half the price. You know, we depart every morning, whatever. Yeah. Yep. I mean, What's interesting about that for me is, is really thinking that the membership itself becomes more valuable once the competitor offer me benefits. Oh, so yeah. Like, if yes. I have this tier of Air France and I know it gives me discount at these other competitors, I'm definitely yes. going to get the tier. So I'm going to try to spend with Air France to get the tier yeah. and then also go use the other one. So it kind of it makes the, the, the membership even more valuable for the brand because it's it becoming the standard. It becomes the thing that everybody wants to have uh, because it gets them discount all around the world. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, and be- that's the thing that Amex, you know, with Platinum has been able to do. It's exactly that. It's like, okay, how can we make it so that... It's so attractive that people will want to be part of this because they can get other benefits that we don't care about. Yeah. You know, it was really interesting about it. You know, we were thinking about, uh, actually, we, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, we were approached uh, by the uh, by by International Travel Association to help them think through uh, how to use blockchain to glue the systems of the different airlines together. And we yeah. uh, kind of helped them advise them, say, hey, here's how you would do this. And I learned a lot about the kind of the, the airline mile system. I shit you not, uh, excuse my French, someone would be on one computer t- typing minus 3,000 and go into another computer and say plus 3,000, right? Oh, I'm like, sure. This yeah. is actually what happens when you say, it would take 24 hours to 48 hours for your point to transfer. Oh, yeah. Someone needs to do that. And then you guess what the problem was? Fraud. Someone sure was like think, yeah. minus three thousand plus one fifty, and then five hundred to my friends, and ten thousand. Yeah, like that happens. So there's there needs to be reconciliation to make sure that the person who's doing this manual thing is not taking some money off the table. It- and it's also incredibly expensive. You think about a system like this, it doesn't make any sense to actually pay someone to type numbers on two machines, right? Like it's kind of yes. lame uh, and, and it's very inefficient in many ways. And so that's one of the benefits of using these Absolutely. blockchain technologies. Yes. Yeah. And and, and, and it, it does make sense for that to leverage the whole global infrastructure that's right there that's decentralized. Uh, I think... Uh, when a few years ago it was very much about private blockchain, and now with app chains and rollups and stuff like that, I, we're starting to blur the boundaries. And it's okay; you're going to get the performance and that kind of a uh, control, but also the fact that it's trusted and settled on uh, something that you, you know, someone can just like go and edit it uh, yeah, and stuff like that. What I want to kind of drill down a little bit on on the on on your idea of. Uh, the web moving to a more subscription approach and Web3 beginning to have enough of the logic. And like, for example, stablecoin becomes a little bit easier yes. to understand for people. 
Yep. Uh, people don't know what USD is, even if, especially if your country has a volatile currency. Yep. <laughs> I, sometimes I think people who are in places where the currency is pretty strong don't understand how much anxiety yeah, there is to those sure. currencies. And, and USDC and other things are dire, uh, are pretty good. Mm-hmm. What is your sense of like the ability for people to buy into this stuff? Like, What is the friction right now for someone who has not used Web3 to say, I would like to buy this membership? Is it something you can use a credit card, Apple Pay? Yes. Uh, what, are you, what, what is your sense of that? Yeah, so definitely. So the way I mean, I, I shared something with uh, a few friends this morning. Say, hey, if you think about blockchain as payment, you're on, you're getting only half of it. Like the payment mm. is part of it, but the 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 shared infrastructure is a bigger part. And what going back to what you said earlier, ownable and composable. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, the way we think about unlock is like, okay, this is a membership protocol. It's not about the payment. So we want to make it easy for people to say, hey, I will pay with Apple Pay, with Google Pay, with credit card. I don't mm-hmm. have my own wallet yet. So mm-hmm. we actually have the concept of unlock accounts. You can email a password and we'll basically create an identity for you, which is mm-hmm. a hash of, I mean, something that looks like an address. Uh, yeah. And then we'll attach NFTs to this. And then since you can authenticate with us, we can say, okay, we, as intermediate here, we have to be here because that person doesn't have their wallet. We will assert that this person has this specific NFT and there's actually an NFT on chain. In that scenario, yes, you pay with your card. Uh, you pay with, you know, Apple Pay, Google Pay. Right, what right. we've built is a system where if you want to take with, I mean, if at some point you decide to have your own wallet, whether it's right. MetaMask we mentioned earlier or any of the other ones, mm-hmm. you can come and say, hey, now I have my own wallet. Please transfer these NFTs to my wallet. And we actually I are see. building the infrastructure. I mean, we have an infrastructure to do this. We're improving it a lot so that you can actually take over these memberships. So the way we're thinking about this is, you know, graceful upgrades in a way that, mm-hmm. okay, you start with something that is very web 2 like even though i hate saying web 2 but like something that you're very familiar with email password yes. and then paper card nothing fancy and then we tell you hey you could get more benefits of that by having your own wallet by downloading these things by paying with your own currencies uh your cryptocurrencies to mm-hmm. actually get these things and by the way if you do that you don't have to trust us you don't have to rely on us being kind of a a benevolent dictator in the middle because you don't want that. In practice, you want to live in a world where you are, you know, in control uh, of your assets uh, mm-hmm. and these assets don't have to be your home, but like your, you know, access to your website so that if you lose them, I mean, you can't lose them basically so that the website cannot shut you down and you can actually move to a world where it's more decentralized in that way. And there's no person in the middle that actually decides, nope, you can access or you cannot access that content. Yeah, it's really nice, you know, uh, to have this st- experience that starts out familiar, and then there, there is this like, hey, turn off the, take off the training wheels, and you're actually yes. on your own. Uh, but you don't have to do that in the beginning, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I never learned how to snowboard because there's no training wheel for snowboard. <laughs> They're just falling on your ass a thousand times, and I just yes. refuse to go through that. I know yeah. how to ski, but the, but it was really difficult for me to get through that. <laughs> that's a very good. That's a very good point. And honestly, something that always kind of uh, bugs me in the space, like, oh, you have to start by downloading your wallet. It's like to do something that I'm able to do in the Web two world again. Right. I first do something that I don't really understand how that yes. works and do this seed phrase and do all of that complicated stuff before you know being able to actually do the NFT stuff. Feels like no, I should be able to kind of do the NFT first and then move to the world. It's like okay, now I can take over and if I want to sell that NFT to somebody else then I need to transfer it to my wallet and then yes. I'm going to be able to sell it. Uh, for yeah. me, that's, that's the again, this graceful uh, upgrade path. One thing that I think a lot about, and again, I think we're roughly the same generation, but like if you go back 25 years, mm-hmm. very few people had email addresses. Like now everyone has an email address because that's yeah. how you authenticate with most websites. Like on, most site. mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, I'm just going to put my email address. But there was a point where people didn't have email addresses. And so it was really, really hard to actually 
kind of kickstart the news like okay do mm-hmm. we have to in many many applications we're giving you an email address like even at some point facebook gave you an email address people don't know that but right, you can have right, that right. at facebook.com mm-hmm. because it was a way to get people to actually be able to use facebook because otherwise if they didn't have an email address they could not actually have an account so you would yes. have to start with like okay put a login a username and a password uh, and then the recovery mechanism was outrageously bad because there was actually mm-hmm. no way to actually authenticate you on the other side. So mm-hmm. there's, you could upload your ID and stuff like this, which is kind of crazy. Mm. Uh, and so I think we're roughly at that place in the Web3 space. Like, can we make it easier? And again, providing these wallets to people so that they can onboard the Web2 experience until everyone, like we do now, has an email address, until everyone has a wallet of their own. And that yes. wallet might not look like MetaMask. One of my big beliefs is like, at some point, you know, maybe your Google account is going to be a wallet. You don't know mm-hmm. this, but it will be a wallet. Uh, maybe your you know, a Twitter account might be a wallet. Maybe your Instagram or your Facebook meta ID, mm-hmm. I guess, is going to be a wallet. You will not know about this, but it's going to have some kind of, maybe not a private key, but at least uh, an address that matches your yes. account and your account uniquely that allows you to kind of onboard this and then you'll be able to use it everywhere else on the web after that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think this idea that the seed phrase or the, the, the actual cryptography bits, it can be different, you know, places and you, you can use different ways to do it. And, you know, I, I, you know, I look at the Ethereum space in this transition right now. We had the, the merge last year, which is moving from proof of work to proof of stake. And, and, and this worked out really well. As, as engineers, I'm amazed. I was oh, up amazing, that night yes. looking at the panda coming out on the console. It's like, wow, this is some great engineering here. It's like yes. literally replacing the engine of, of a Boeing 787 in flight. On flight, yes. And not, losing, <laughs> and not losing altitude, which is kind right. of like crazy. It's, it's totally like, insane. I, and I am yeah. so impressed. I mean, it's, I, I mean, I don't think we're going to look back uh, in that moment and have too many people remember. Remember it, but it's going to be looked back as a huge you know, kind of engineering sure. achievement. Of um, uh, but you know, uh, the, the slightly less sexy phrase uh, that that wasn't in the merge, search, perch, verge uh, uh, vernacular Splurge. is is account abstraction. Yes, uh, there is no better worse word <laughs> than than no, that. No, I think soulbound tokens is not better. But yes, go ahead. <laughs> right, right. Um, so my understanding, and, and I want to get your thoughts on this, is that with account abstraction, you have an account, a smart contract that is a wallet on chain and that can be controlled by one or more keys and those keys can be what's in metamask it could be what is held by a kind of like a benevolent uh, partner uh, yep. in yep, some cases yep. to on or starbucks if they end up doing yep. that but you can take that key over and without changing the history of that account or that smart contract based account so it's not tied to this cryptography and you can kind of swap out your key or it's almost like a lock that has a program code and you just change the code but it's still the same lock yep, what's yep. your thinking of that is that important is that something we want to migrate it's a very small portion smart contract wallet like gnosis safe on ethereum and ethereum or related ways it's yeah. very very small possible do you yeah. see that becoming a, a thing uh, yes and no. So I, I used to think that it actually was a solution. One thing that I realized more and more, and I, I've spoken with people that are at Argent, at Gnosis and others. Yes. There is a big limitation with that approach. It's single chain. And mm. we will not go back to a world where there's just only one chain or even one execution environment. Like, you know, uh, right now, if I deploy my Argent on a network, yes. it's a different address on a different network. Uh, mm-hmm. or it might not actually exist on a different network and there's no way to actually guarantee that it's going to be deployed at that address. Even mm-hmm. though there's people that are using Create2 and making them to try to make that work, yeah. it is really hard. There was actually a big hack last summer, uh, not because of Argent, but uh, because of the fact that a wallet, uh, Gnosis Safe, was deployed on mainnet uh, and a, 
it was not deployed on optimism uh, and the address on optimism was getting money. And so people actually deployed a lot of different wallets to actually get to a point where that address existed and they I were able see. to steal some funds. Um, so my belief is like, yes, we will move away from your identity is your private key because this is incredibly risky and this is incredibly, you know, broken. Uh, and we need to have some kind of level of interaction between your private key and your actual identity. And so the smart contract idea was a good one. It was that level, like multiple private keys could control one single contract, which is my real identity. And so maybe I've got, you know, limitation of like the kind of transaction they can do from my phone, from the desktop. I need to factor off. Maybe you have a way to recover me on my wallet because, uh, you're one of these abstractions on that smart contract. The problem is like it's single chain. One, approach that I'm more and more uh, a fan of is really the idea of uh, MPC. So like basically mm-hmm. having, and it's kind of a different, it's kind of the same idea. It's like having multiple signers uh, generate a signed transaction that represents my identity on chain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so examples of this, I think there's Zengo uh, is a wallet. Yes. Uh, Coinbase actually does this on their, on their, um, on the, on the native wallet. Uh, there's um, a project called, uh, used to be called Taurus, uh, that actually has, apparently, even though it's pretty opaque, uh, a similar uh, function. I do think that's a kind of abstraction in the sense that the, it's not a single private key. It is multiple signers that allow me to generate that identity. Yes. The challenge at this point is like both Zengo, Coinbase, and others. They're still pretty opaque in terms of like who these signers are. In an ideal world, this that system would exist where I, my computer, my you know, my phone, uh, my wife's computer are all signers on this in mm-hmm. a way that would make it so that if one of them uh, is lost, I can still access and I can still do business as usual. Uh, but at least I know these things are not going to collude against me. Right now, if I have to trust Zengo, and I know the people there are the good people, but you know, it's yes. like everybody else, you don't want to trust them, uh, or I don't want to trust Coinbase, or I don't want to trust Taurus or any of these systems, then you end up in a situation where you don't really have the right uh, model. The benefit of that, though, is like if these transactions are signed away from any chain and the identity it's not like there's a private key but like the there is a public not a public key but there's an address that is the same yes. across all networks so my identity is the same everywhere uh, mm-hmm. but i don't but i don't have the the kind of the single point of failure which is the the private key in that scenario yeah, it's really interesting to, to think that that the uh, smart contract wallet requires some state on each chain, and that create a tax in some way. Uh, you know, when we were first exploring this as S two approach, one is like the no safe approach. The other one is a Zengo approach, which is yes. that. Um, yes. You know, but one one idea that we have, and it obviously requires coordination that currently doesn't exist, is for Google to be an MPC signer. For Apple to be an MPC signer, exactly. right? For and, and Netflix you know, for, to be a Netflix, I mean, they, like they have for the great... U.S. government to, for the U.S. government to be an MPC signer. Like you know, it's yeah. like for each state to be a yes. different MPC signer. Like okay, my yes. driver license is signed by the state and maybe by some other entities, and I know it's you know it's my wallet and it's me. It's like I do think that's probably in my mind a much better model than when a single entity offers you your your identity, a single right. provider offers you your identity, or one that was like okay, I'm alone in charge, which again, works well for advanced users like you and I, uh, and obviously people should use hardware wallets for that kind of thing, yes. uh, but it's also kind of fairly complicated and probably like Linux on the desktop, right? It's like some <laughs> of us do it, most people won't. Yes. Uh, uh, the, the Linux on the people, uh, the, the desktop is using like uh, a new game machine running Linux as their own thing. And one of our developers migrated his entire server from mo- to, to, to like, you know, 
a box. <laughs> it's like yes. this stuff is powerful. It's am- pretty amazing. No, I, I I completely believe that you know MPC by the way stands for multi-party computation is a way to essentially do public key private key cryptography where the private key part can be split into multiple things. It's kind of like one plus two plus three, right? Like and then having that add up to six and then using six to. Uh, create yes. the private key yes. as a number, right? Uh, that's not a prime number, bad world, example. And in your whoever computes one, two, and three uh, are different people, and nobody can compute the three at once. Exactly. And then the good thing about it is that you can, you know, in some implementation, uh, reshare the key so you can pick yes. new people and have the yes. old people give it to new stuff. Uh, yes. I, I, I applaud the Zango team for doing a lot of the research and building a lot of libraries that a lot of people are building on. Uh, it's challenging to figure out what the business model would be because the the correct business model is for there to be a bunch of counterparty doing it as a service to their uh, members, uh, but 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 not not necessarily monetizable that way. So it's unclear how we can find incentive to make this type of MPC thing actually work in practice. You know, I think uh, I mean I don't I can't talk for for, for Zengo anyone, but I think one of the things that's amazing about wallets is like they also act as you know uh, in and outs of crypto. So there mm-hmm. are exchanges, as a matter of fact, and that's so that, true. that they can take a cut on these transactions that are happening through their apps. I think yes. that's how Zengo does it, uh, mm-hmm. at least for now. At some point, I hope again that's the Google and the Apples of the world. Uh, and I'm sure there's you know subscription tools or SaaS businesses that they can do. say, hey, okay, you'll pay us five bucks a month or a year, whatever that is, yep. for us to provide that service to you. And you know that it's a way to kind of reliably have your identity and not be stuck in any one scenario. In practice, they offer you email, right? And email is actually pretty vastly more expensive than uh, signing messages. Oh, absolutely. To yeah. run. The, the so, storage yeah. and, uh, and the polling and the, and the fact that email infrastructure is no joke uh, to yes. run. Exactly. Um, you know, one of my fear is that the, 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 the as with any protocol, as it gets more mature, it gets more complicated. The number of actual organization that has the resources to actually implement them becomes more and smaller. In the beginning, you can run your own email server. Nobody even dreams of that doing today. Uh, <laughs> do you do you think that the crypto infrastructure gets so complicated? In the beginning, it was just Bitcoin running some computer uh, program on your computer, everything on your disk. Hopefully, you don't lose it. Congratulations if you kept it, but, but but like, do you see that centralization as a uh, uh, unfortunate a consequences of just complexity in the technology? So I, I don't think it has to. I think it's a risk. I think it's definitely one of the risks that we're seeing. I'm I'm really interested about the approach like uh, what are the box like Dapnode and a bunch of others are doing, mm-hmm. like little, yes. little box that are acting as kind of a media server Nook. and uh, yeah. or, or providing kind of this uh, this uh, you know uh, RPC endpoints uh, in, in your home. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I'm advocating for. I hope at some point, you know, uh, I, I mentioned earlier I'm on Fios. I hope at some point the Verizon box will come with a node in it. And honestly, mm-hmm. it is their interest. Like, if there is a type of company that has been, uh, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to say screwed, but like that has lost their edge in the in the in the in the internet revolution, is the the, the the telcos, is the information providers. Like they're completely absent of the upper stack. Uh, yeah. And so saying, hey, we'll go back to this and we'll have. I mean. They could have done this a long time ago, but like maybe not email server, but like, you know, a node Mm -hmm. running into each of these, that could be a thing. And that thing is connected the whole time. Uh, I think, again, it wouldn't, I think it would make sense for these companies to actually operate these things. Back in, I mean, it was like 10, 15 years ago in Europe, there was this thing called Fon, F-O-N, which Mm -hmm. was really interesting. It was kind of a, uh, they were selling boxes, uh, kind of regular modems and you put them home. And then what they was doing is basically offering Wi-Fi 
so you'd have Wi-Fi in your home, but mm -hmm. it also had like a public SSID that people mm -hmm. could connect to and pay. And basically, if your endpoint was generating, you know, revenue for the company, you right. would get credits to go when you travel around, connect to uh, Wi-Fi hotspots for free because they were basically just swapping one for another. And I think that kind of idea uh, took a little bit off. Um, most providers now do that in, in, in Europe. I don't know if in the US it's the same, but like, mm -hmm. I think it's the same. Like if you see all of these uh, networks, you can connect to, uh, not Verizon, but like some of the cable ones, uh, you know, because you're a member, you can connect to a Wi-Fi uh, from yes. a similar box mm -hmm. and all. Yeah. So that kind of idea shows to me that at least some people understand that it could build something like this because what we're discussing here is kind of a Absolutely. similar idea. Yeah, and I so, think at the, at, uh, yeah. the, at the decentralized, uh, was it, I think the DPIN is the new acronym that's been floating around, Decentralized Physical Infrastructure Network, right? So actually thinking about the physical infrastructure, these cable boxes being one of them, uh, yes. as, as as another aspect of the expansion. And, and it actually makes sense. Like we think about Verizon, you, you know, as a US company, uh, they missed a lot, but they end up buying a bunch of media property. Yes. And that wasn't really really smart right no, but there I, there are there are smart things to do and hopefully the strategy people which by the way i've, I've worked in corporate strategy in big companies they're good people with just a lot of you know not very clueful people around them to convince uh but if if you know if you look at what visa is doing how forward looking they are it is possible that yes. within these organizations and their and the and the resources and and market positioning to make this happen we just hope that there is a uh, person who speaks our language that works for Verizon yeah. today. And what i find fascinating <laughs> is like you think about these like Verizon and you mean the, the telcos and visa yes. and these are all of the, a lot of companies that have lost kind of the web one and web two wars in some right, way right, can right. be relevant. Like you mm. mentioned Stripe earlier, Apple Pay, Google Pay. They're yes. all eating, you know, on Stripe, on Stripe, on Visa and Amex and MasterCards, uh, you know, uh, closed gardens. And so it's interesting to see these companies like realize, hey, wait, this is our business that they're actually taking and slowly yes. uh, taking from us. So what if, because we can provide some infrastructure, what if we were actually upfront? And kind of sandwich uh, attack in some way, uh, you know, Apple, Google, and Amazon in that world. I think that'd be interesting. I think it's true. And then it's also, it's the first time in about 10 years that the, the, the actual stronghold of the big tech companies seems weaker than before, right? Yes. Uh, it is strong, the same way newspaper was strongest be before they disappeared. Uh, yes. uh, sometimes that kind of supernova brightest before it blows up. Uh, I'm not saying that, 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 that iPhones and, uh, are not going to be around forever. Uh, but, you know, I, I see a glimpse on the possibility of a change of a win. You know, At least I, and I don't want way. iPhone to disappear. I actually don't have an iPhone, but I don't want iPhone to disappear or Google to disappear. I just want the checks and balances. I want Absolutely. this ecosystem to be healthier by not having a small number of people fully in charge of everything that yeah. we use and do online. And it would be really, really amazing that when you're uh, when you're number one, you want to be closed and keep control of your number two, you want to be open. And and hopefully there's enough people feeling that in number two, they're going to embrace the open standard yes. and open technology and the open state that exists in the blockchain ecosystem. It would be a great to champion that stuff. But Honestly, the work needs to be done to 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 solve some of these technical problems and explain it. I mean, we've seen, uh, and I'm not gonna, I'm, gonna I'm, I'm smiling as I say this, but like we've seen Facebook do a lot of work on the crypto front, like mm, whatever you think of Libra yeah. and others, this was pretty poorly executed. But I think the idea behind was interesting. It's like, hey, we need to be able to kind of embrace these new technologies. I'm not a huge fan of what they do on the metaverse. I actually don't know what mm -hmm. the metaverse is, but I think it's actually interesting to see them try to innovate and go further. I can't say as much for Google. It looks like in many ways they're like, eh, who cares? We're in our position. And Apple is also like that. And to mm -hmm. me, that's a bit frustrating to see these companies that should be at the forefront of some of these things just say, eh, not my business. Uh, yeah. When in practice, 
it is actually pretty interesting and something that they could they should embrace in many ways yeah and then the thing about it is the progress is forward you know and and is it and it's not linear right so yep. so so yes innovation and 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 things and you know we work very hard on our side on one problem for a long time sometimes hard tech is just like this right and yep. and and but the adoption uh comes from a need to either differentiate sometimes it comes from a yearning from your customer and and i think you know i i've been following tech for a long time it's been it's probably the most stagnant i don't look at SaaS as like exciting i don't look at even blockchain as being particularly exciting but there is something brewing there if we apply yes. correctly there there's some really good primitive here yes absolutely so, well, it's been a really great conversation. We cover a lot of things, both uh, you know specifically about uh, the product of uh, the unlock and what it what what it means, but also uh, the need for us as technologists and as people builders to point and know what direction you're going, uh, keep moving towards it, and when the opportunity opens up, like you know, bring the user in and share that opportunity with everybody. Absolutely. You know, we, uh, it's been we, a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate it. I know we went a bit over time, but I think it was because it was interesting. <laughs> no, this is this is totally worth it, and 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 I I really uh, appreciate your insight uh, and and your honesty. Uh, it's really easy to just repeat the talking points, but you know we have to reflect uh, bull market, bear market. Uh, you know. Uh, progress or regression it's all because people can have honest conversation and learn and if we can make it one percent better every day it seems like what you're doing on your marketing and the user exploitation fund and it shows right? like yep. every single time i go to your website it's just clearer than the day before and, and i mean and <laughs> thank you for saying this i really appreciate it and i, I want to just uh, transfer that to the team because you know we have a we have a small team but a very mighty team uh, that's working hard on this so i, I really appreciate you saying this is really awesome and and I, I love the practicality of bringing user on board and getting them feel successful uh, i think there's a little bit of a gap of like hey i'm gonna learn how to play the violin and you suck for a long time until you get a little bit good and that you've lost most people and i think being able to get them to feel what ownership looks like what this kind of the new substrate and this new capability looks like is really fantastic and, and you demonstrated that in a concrete way to a new group of people absolutely thank you very much for uh, your kind words yeah, so thank you so much for your time today. And as always, uh, the community, I thank you for your time and attention. Until next time, take care.